Let's do it. Welcome back, Chiefs Kingdom, to another edition of the Out of Structure Podcast. Another Victory Monday, which you got to feel good about, even if you don't love all the details behind it. Matt Sagner here with Ron Cock Jr. as always. Back again after vacation. Ron, how are you feeling today? Well, first of all, welcome back, Stags. Uh, Chiefs are 2-0 uh, since you went on vacation. I know technically you were still on vacation uh, during that Giants game, but we'll call it 2-0 since Stags has come back from vacation. So your refresher has refreshed the Chiefs. Uh, so that's good. But uh, yeah. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I will fly across the country uh, to break the funk that this team has been in. Yeah, your bye week was was apparently, you know, the resetting that they needed. So, you know, your bye week was their bye week. And they get another bye week. So now they have two bye weeks in the middle of the season. That's uh, that's good. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, hey, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about, you know, the victory yesterday. Uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty I'm pretty high confidence wise, but uh, maybe not as high as as Jordan Love's mom was in the stands. I think that's uh, I don't think anyone's confidence level is that high. <laughs> it's funny the focus on that again. I'm sure it happens all the time, but that was a uh, that was just a funny picture to see at the top of that stadium. But you know as well as I know, there's not a bad seat in Arrowhead Stadium. I haven't found one yet, anyway. That was that was my first thought too. Is that I actually almost sometimes prefer sitting up there because I feel like you can see the entire field better. I usually sit in the lower section when I go. So uh, you, got the, you get the live all twenty two going from the from yes, the- exactly. Although that high up, they they do start to look like ants a little bit. So. <laughs> Bring your binoculars next time. Well, a lot to take away from this week's victory. It's a thirteen to seven Chiefs win over the Aaron Rodgers less Green Bay Packers. Um, Ron, what are some things that you took away? Just on the surface, uh, what what what's the taste left in your mouth after this one? So the Green Bay Packers are a really good team, and and even without Rodgers, that is an elite roster. You're talking about really good playmakers, a really strong offensive line, although they still weren't fully healthy in that sense. Uh, really good defense, and so my first kind of takeaway was that I I almost in in a sick way kind of enjoyed. Uh, the defensive special teams kind of carrying the Chiefs to a victory in a, in a low-scoring affair. I kind of predicted it would be pretty low-scoring. I didn't think it was going to be that low-scoring, though. But it was kind of – as, as, as funny as it is to say, sometimes with Mahomes and when he's really on, obviously not this year as much, but when he's really on sometimes, it almost feels like it's cheating. It almost feels like you're not playing football in a legal manner. Uh, it almost feels like, yeah, the Chiefs are just kind of playing by other rules and – and now we're actually, you know, now it feels more like, hey, we're we're in the muck just like every other NFL team is. We got to scratch and claw for wins, and they're doing it. Last two weeks, they both they've done it both times. The thing is, the Giants game doesn't make you feel as good. Um, featuring my dog, shout out Kane for barking uh, while we're recording, but um, Giants game doesn't feel as good uh, just because it's the Giants. But the Packers, the Packers are a good team, and beating them no matter what, in my opinion, even with Jordan Love playing. It feels good, honestly. So I, I, I kind of enjoyed the the uh, the G- Chiefs turning into a defensive special teams led uh, club. Spoken like a true Chiefs fan from the early two thousand or from from the mid two thousands and the mid nineteen nineties. Uh, I know you're not that old, Ron, but I feel like for the better part of my life, the Chiefs have been scraping by on special teams and defense, uh, overcoming weak offensive play. Uh, there's been brief. Uh, glimpses of, of offensive glory in the Dick Vermeil days and, and the early part of the Mahomes career so far. But but this game was a little bit of a throwback uh, to those days where Dante Hall was winning games for the Chiefs uh, as opposed to their quarterback. 
Yeah, the special teams was on point, and it's and they've been decent all year. But this was a game where they really made an impact. I mean, you're talking about the block field goal early in the game. Alex Okafor got a hand on it. Uh, we Chris Lamons got that muff punt recovery. Uh, you know, barely touched the guy's foot. He also actually almost had another one, um, and probably should have had another one, uh, but he he didn't could not secure it. Talk about punter Tommy Townsend. Five of his six, he had six uh, season high punts, six punts. Five of them went inside the twenty yard line, including two of them that went inside the ten, and one of the other ones was the muff punt. We, and then also you have Harrison Bucker kicking a fifty five yard field goal. I mean, special teams was on point Sunday. Yeah, and we've been critical of Townsend uh, this year. You know, he he hasn't punted much, and when he when he has punted, sometimes it hasn't been pretty. But man, that that long one this uh, this week that ended up on the two yard line. Uh, that was something else. Uh, he he was definitely on. Nice to see Butker continue to be perfect on the season. Uh, and it, well, almost perfect on the season. But uh, it, it's really been – it really was nice to see that phase of the game showing up. And there's – we talked about all the excuses of, of Aaron Rodgers not being there. Aaron Rodgers doesn't play special teams. Like, there's no excuse that says that all of a sudden uh, there's some asterisk next to that part of the – that phase of the game this week that the chiefs dominated on special teams and it made a difference. Yeah. And they've always been a really strong special teams team, obviously, but last year, if, and, and if you look at DVOA for the football outsiders nerds um, last year, you know, we've always been about top five, top eight in DVOA, at least if not like one of the top and last year, special teams DVOA, DVOA was like 20th or something. And and this year it's climbed back. So it actually, it kind of is a bounce back year for the special teams and, and, you know, that's, that's good to see. That's what's, that's, what's going to help you win games in January is, is good special teams and good defense, which we definitely saw. Well, I had a takeaway too. I thought that it was nice to see the team playing with the lead for once. And, and it actually never felt like the game was completely in doubt. I wasn't super worried about it. I, I, I felt like eventually, you know, somebody would give up a touchdown and, and uh, our guy did that this week, of course, but you know, I felt like the Chiefs were pretty much in control of this one. I felt pretty confident when the defense was playing and the special teams were playing. Uh, the offense, you know, was was good enough uh, to win this week. Maybe not good enough in, in other weeks. But uh, I felt like this was more of a comfortable win maybe than a lot of people felt like it was. Yeah, I totally agree. I think from from 10 nothing about 10 nothing, it, it, it really felt like the Chiefs were going to, you know, they were going to squeak it out. It, they weren't going to kind of pull away, although – I think we were all hoping the offense would eventually pull away. Um, but it always kind of felt like the Chiefs were going to be able to squeak this out. It, it felt pretty obvious early that, uh, you know, Jordan Love playing from double digits down was just not the recipe for success for the Packers. I think they wanted to play with the lead, you know, strong ball, you know, strong running the ball, obviously, which we saw. They can really do that against the Cardinals. They really just pounded the rock and won that game. They were not able to do it against the Chiefs. And I think the Chiefs defense deserves a lot of credit for kind of shutting down Jones and Dylan for the most part. Yeah, they gave up 122 yards on the ground, which uh, is a pretty solid game overall. I mean, for Aaron Jones to have 53 yards rushing, uh, uh, Dylan 46. I mean, that's that's really uh, acceptable. I think you're I think you're you're perfectly fine with that. If you saw that stat line, you'd say, all right, the defense played played pretty well. Yeah, and you know th- that combines to about 100 yards for the running backs, which isn't great, obviously, but it did seem like they were doing enough to force the Packers into a lot of third downs, a lot of third and longs, where obviously if it's your first career start as a quarterback and and you're dropping back with, with and we'll get into it, but obviously Chris Jones, Melvin Ingram, and Frank Clark coming after you, it's not a, it's not going to be a recipe for a victory, I'll tell you that much. I, I, I think the Chiefs' run defense did enough to set up 
those third and longs and allow kind of Jordan Love to to not execute and then obviously stall out on those drives. So yeah, I I was really encouraged by what the Chiefs defense did. Yeah, specifically, uh, were, were there certain parts of the defense that stood out to you more than others this week? Yeah, exactly. Uh, specific parts was the cornerback group. First of all, I I was really impressed with Charvarius Warden. Obviously, Lujarius Sneed gets the interception late in the game to kind of you know really almost put it away, not completely, but. The cornerback play in terms of I have just never I, I've kind of been on here saying, you know, Veach doesn't invest in the cornerback group enough or, you know, it, it's actually going to catch up to them. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe two or three weeks later after I make that take, all of a sudden I'm I'm buying in. Um, I'm buying into this cornerback group. When you're talking about Rashad Fenton being your third best cornerback and I really like what he's done this season. I think that's a I think that's a really solid group uh, and, and them playing better is going to help the pass rush as well. But. I want to single out Traverius Ward here because I've always been the guy and you can find tweets about it. You can find prior podcasts about it, but I've always just been a guy that I'm not buying into Traverius Ward. I, he's kind of just been a product of he's been around and, and knows the defense more than he's actually, you know, proven that he's a legit starter in this league, but he's making me shut up a little bit because he was covering Devontae Adams very well. The only penalty he had in coverage was kind of an iffy one. In my opinion, I don't know if it should have been called. It's pretty soft. And he and he's playing really well since he came back because last week there were some good plays, too. And, man, if, if he can play as well as he's playing right now with Snead and Fenton kind of, you know, playing pretty well as well. I'm really liking this cornerback group, and I think it's really going to make a difference, uh, you know, this last stretch of the season as they try to turn it all around. Yeah, I think that swap of, of Ward coming back and Hughes playing less has certainly worked out well for them. I was really impressed by Snead this week. I think him being a playmaker once again for this defense is going to make a huge difference. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, speaking of people coming back or, you know, not coming back, but joining the, joining the, uh, the team, Melvin Ingram, look at him coming in right away. First play literally got traded this week. And on the first third down of the, of the entire game, uh, Jordan Love drops back and, and guess who's pressuring him and forcing an errant throw. It's Melvin Ingram coming off that left edge of the defense, the right tackle, they had Chris Jones and Melvin Ingram line up next to each other and force kind of that 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 disruption in the pocket. And he outsnapped actually Alex Okafor and Mike Dana. And so it kind of tells you that they they really they feel good about what they can do with Melvin Ingram and and feel good enough to play him over guys that have been here all year and you know two years. Uh, you know Elvin, uh, Okafor and Dana have been here you know multiple years. And so that kind of just shows you that they trust his pass rush presence a little more. And what it also does which we saw this week was get Chris Jones back inside, which we've all, you've all been clamoring for. I should say, I've always kind of been one to say, I think the defensive end experience is worthwhile. And I think it may pay off towards the end of the year, but it, it looks like they've abandoned it completely guys. They, they moved Jones back inside for the vast majority of this game. Uh, he was playing defense tackle for, for most of the snaps. I think there were probably a few situational snaps. He still played on the edge. Um, but yeah. And, and, and I think, Ingram is their main reason. I think bringing in Ingram and feeling good about him makes them feel confident that they can just move Jones back inside and still have enough bodies on the outside to get it done. Yeah, I have, I have nothing to add there. That's been my take as well, that uh, I, was, I was trying to give them some time with this defensive end move for Jones. I thought there are some signs that it, that it could actually work out. But, you know, adding in Ingram, I think he's been a nice fit. And you know, Jones back on the inside has looked like a monster once again. So uh, all's well that ends well with that. And as long as they continue where they're at, getting some pressure and the cornerbacks playing well, this defense is uh, on the up. I got a little heat this week when I did the winners and losers post last night. I added Mahomes on the winners list. 
you know, there, there's a reason for that. And it's not that Mahomes is, is back a hundred percent or that he's, that he played a spectacular game this week. He certainly, the stat line was pretty much the worst of his career or, or nearly with if you're taking out the intercept, the games where he's had a lot of interceptions, um, only 166 yards passing, you know, is not, not an impressive stat line for Mahomes. But I thought I saw some signs from him this week that were encouraging. He's still off from an accuracy standpoint. I know we'll talk about that later in the pod. We had a ton of questions on this topic. But I like that he was taking some deep shots and not just some like kind of deep shots, but but going for it, you know. And I, I appreciated that even though it didn't work out. Uh, and I also liked how he closed the game out in vintage Mahomes fashion, rolling out, chased by two defenders, firing at the last, very last second just a bullet to Tyreek Hill. And then you saw the emotion. You saw the passion. It was as if this whole season had been building on him. And finally, when they needed him to close out a game, he was able to do it. And you saw him fist pumping and just fired up. That is a Mahomes. That's a difference in Mahomes. That's something that's been missing a lot of this season. And so I was encouraged, even if the results, the rest of the game weren't spectacular. He took care of the ball and took some big shots and close the game out the way we're used to. Yeah, you just hit on it right there, I think, with the took care of the ball. Um, yes, he did have an interception that was pretty much dropped uh, right before first half, or right before halftime, I should say. Uh, Kevin King had a chance to pick him off, but he took care of the ball. And and the other thing with your with the, the deep shots he took, they weren't really forced. Uh, the plays were pretty much open. Now, the, act, the placement wasn't great maybe on, on, on both of those that I'm thinking of, the McColl deep target, and there's a Tyreek deep target later in the game. The placement, like you said, could have been a little better, but it's not like he was forcing those. Those plays were there. Those plays were, you know, within the, the, the design of the play, he was making those throws, and that was encouraging because, yeah, you, I feel like you've seen those deep passes maybe, you know, uh, recently kind of been more forced than actually, hey, a guy is breaking open and I'm going to hit him deep. Um, so yeah, just the, just the thought of hitting him, uh, deep and kind of the thought of getting those plays going a little more against a tough defense. This defense is a good defense. They just played that was encouraging. So I like your point. Small victories here, baby steps. Uh, well, let's get to some of your questions. We had one from at Nate Basher on Twitter. If Aaron Rodgers had played this game, would the chiefs have lost by 20 or by 30? <laughs> oh, oh man. Uh, yeah, I got to imagine Rodgers is putting up at least 24 points. I, I kind of want to put that there. Uh, you know, that's kind of the number being conservative and being kind of optimistic about the Chiefs defense playing well. I, I, I have a hard time imagining the Chiefs were going to win with 13 points. So I don't know by how much, but the Chiefs were definitely, in my opinion, we're going to lose. If they played like they did yesterday, they were going to lose if Rodgers was the quarterback. Ifs and buts, though, man. I, I'm not taking anything for granted in this league. They got the win. Aaron Rodgers didn't play because of his own, frankly, stupidity. So uh, I'm perfectly okay with the outcome of this game, and I'm not worried about the what-ifs. We're looking ahead here. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the defense, though, because I think there, that was a real positive, uh, as we talked about a little bit. Uh, starting with the edge positions and those pass rushers, uh, Chief G on Twitter, uh, seems like Frank Clark is making a comeback. How good does he have to be to earn a stay in Kansas City after this season? I love that we're now getting questions about uh, Frank Clark staying as opposed to how quick can we cut this guy. So 
Uh, Frank Clark has been back to his normal self. He has been flying around the edge, moving so much better. You can really tell that he's just feeling better than he has in a long time. And it shows on the field, play after play after play. I thought he was really disruptive again this week. Uh, same with last week. This guy, is, uh, this guy might be back. This is the player that when the Chiefs traded a first-round pick for and signed him to an outrageous deal, this is why that was still an exciting move, why I was excited about, holy cow, they're bringing in Frank Clark. This is Seattle Frank Clark, and that is a different player. We have not really seen Seattle Frank Clark in Kansas City. I think towards the end of the 2019 season, the Super Bowl run, you did see it a little bit. But I feel like even then, he was still succeeding more on effort than actual explosion and talent. I think now you're seeing the explosiveness that made him a really exciting player in Seattle. I mean, that's what always jumped off the film to me whenever I, I go back or went back and watched uh, Frank Clark when that trade first happened was just how fast he's off the ball and how he can turn that explosiveness into power. And it is, it is happening right now. And it is exciting because for all the off field things that, that Frank, you can, you know, you can rightfully question about him. Um, I think on the field, he's a warrior. He's a guy that I've always respected that I really root for. Honestly, I truly do. Um, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm the first one to say that that contract is way too much for him, but that's because it's one of the highest contracts in the entire NFL, regardless of position. I mean, you know, the guy, it's hard to play up to that. You know, you'd have to be having an Aaron Donald like impact to play up to the contract he has. And so that's beside the point at this point, right? It's about him producing and he is, and he's playing well right now. And it is really exciting because him playing well, obviously allows the rest of the pass rushers to get, you know, to have better opportunities because they're going to pay more attention to Clark. And then you add in Ingram as well, Jones, Ingram and Clark all playing together well. And it seems like that's kind of what is happening. I think Jones is almost the one that maybe isn't as a hundred percent as the other two right now. And I think he's still coming back from that wrist injury. But the whole point is that Clark Clark's performance increases the rest of the unit's performance, the turn of the pass rush. And that's why he's always been an X factor to me and why I've always, I've always just kind of held out hope that we'd see that Seattle Frank again, because when he is on, man, he's a very fun player to watch and a very disruptive player. And we've seen that. And I am, I'm getting juiced about the idea of Frank Clark as we get, you know, down the end the stretch of the season where we're going to really need the defense to step up more. Yeah. You know, we were pumped about the defensive front coming into this season because we thought that there were some young up and coming players and your established guys that were going to get after it. And it, it felt like a weakness earlier on in the season. Um, and so when now you're starting to see it come together, you're starting to see what the chiefs had envisioned all along. I thought Jaron Reed was pretty solid the last few weeks. Although Derek Nottie was, was borderline great this week. Um, and and all of a sudden, now you've got multiple edge rushers and interior rusher in Chris Jones. And the role players are back to being role players where they're most effective. We had gotten pretty high on this idea that Mike Dana was going to be the next big thing or somehow he was the best edge player that the Chiefs had whenever Frank Clark was either not healthy or not playing well and, and the defense was struggling. Mike Dana is a good player but he's not healthy Frank Clark and he's not Melvin Ingram. Uh, Mike Dana is a good rotation or role player. That's back in a role where he can help out uh, against the run. He can help out when, 
uh, you know, the, the plays break down and he's, he's deep into a rep and he's hustling and making a play. But now you're not depending on Mike Dana to be your starter. All of a sudden you've got legitimate starters on both edges and an elite pass rusher on the inside with Chris Jones. This defensive line, uh, dare I say, it's a strength again, and it's going to make all the difference. Yeah, because like I mentioned earlier, the Packers offensive line is no slouch or no slouches. I mean, I, I know they, like I said, they weren't 100% healthy, but this was a good performance from the pass rush. And you're right, Dana is that, is that high effort guy. He's, he's, he's a very high effort player, you know, high motor, going to not stop. You know, he's playing to the echo of the whistle, all those cliches. And that stuff comes to fruition, and it's why he has three sacks this year is because of the effort. But yeah, he's he should if you if he's your starting defensive end, and he's the guy you're relying on to get pressure on the the quarterback. That's not a good recipe for success. But if he's your fourth defensive end, or yeah, you know, third or fourth defensive end, and he's coming in to kind of be fresh legs for the starters, that I, I really like that. So yeah, all of a sudden, like you said, role players are are instead of being putting in the starting roles, are actually role players now, and I think that's where they'll excel the best. Well, speaking of a role player, uh, we get a lot of questions about everybody's favorite whipping boy, Mr. Daniel Sorensen. So we have a ton of questions here about his performance. You know, he is one player that we had said and everybody had said was should not be a starter, should be a role player. And, And the Chiefs finally agreed with that over the last few weeks. His snaps have gone down substantially. But that doesn't mean that we don't notice him on the field. Uh, unfortunately, his play has gotten is pretty obviously an issue. So let me run through a couple of these questions and we can get your take, Ron, on, on Dan Sorensen. Um, Raider Hater 882, Jennifer McCormick says, why do they continue to play Dan Sorensen? Big Test 142, what will it take to keep Sorensen off the field for the rest of the season? Trixie P, Trixie Pine on Twitter, why we play in Sorensen? Stevie Williams on Twitter. How long until someone's fired for putting Sorensen and Neiman in these situations? If either of them are on the field, they damn well better be blitzing. And that that's my favorite take because I think I said that a couple of weeks ago is I'm okay if Sorensen's job is 100% blitzing. Yes, it's predictable. If he's on the field, send him on a blitz every single time. I'm perfectly okay with that scenario because when he's in space, when he's in coverage, he sticks out and, and not in a good way. Yeah. You know, how funny is it? Think about the last, let's say four, I think it's about four games now since the Buffalo game, including the Buffalo game, maybe five games. Uh, think about the defense. If, if you, if you want to line up, if you make, made like a clip of like every one of their negative plays, I don't, I want to say Sorensen might, might be featured in almost every single one of them. Um, it's crazy. If you like, let's just like, if you erase those memories from your brain, erase those plays from your brain and think about the defense without those plays in mind, they've been pretty damn good these last five weeks. I mean, it really seems like the only big plays they allow or these, you know, the kind of the plays where it just, ugh, you know, it kind of just feels bad or when Sorensen's the one that gives up a bad play. It's just, he really is such a sore spot. And it was kind of funny leading up to this game, you saw or you heard Aaron Jones in his press conference single out Sorensen. He he was asked about the Chiefs defense and he said, yeah, they move Sorensen or 49 around that defense that didn't single anybody else out. So that just shows you that offenses know that they have to attack that guy when he's on the field. Now he's not on the field as much as he used to be. 
Uh, about 30% of the snaps in this game, and that's kind of been the trend since uh, Thornhill took over as a starting free safety. But he is still the third safety in those dime packages, and Spags loves to use dime. And that's when Neiman and Sorensen are both on the field. And when they're in dime, offenses are spreading them out, getting Sorensen in a matchup, and taking advantage of that matchup. And so that's where we need to find a way to get Sorensen out of those matchups. But And, and like you kind of said, when he's on the field, you know, it, it, the, it's no longer the coach's problem anymore. Sorensen has to make a play. You know, you can, you can complain about the coach putting him on the field, but when he's on the field, he has to make the play, and he's just not. And, that, and I got to imagine at some point that does lead to, uh, you know, maybe we see Armani Watts get some more reps. I don't know. What do you think, Sags? Do you think they, they have a way to kind of – because it, it, that's the problem is you can't just – you know, you're benching him from the free safety role, but he still has to play that third safety role, and he still can be exploited – I just don't see how you just completely take him off the field, but maybe it is to that point where we just have to. You know, when, when the defense has an obvious weakness, then then quarterbacks are going to find it. They're they're too good in this league to not do so. And you're right. You know, there's been a lot of talk about let's fire Spagnolo because because he's putting Sorensen in coverage on a wide receiver, and he should never be one on one with a wide receiver. Well, if he's on the field, that's going to happen. He's not a cornerback playing man coverage where they can actually sort of dictate who he covers. He's a safety. When he's <laughs> being a safety, most of the time he's covering a zone or an area of the field. If a receiver comes into that area and the quarterback targets him, that's his guy, and he has to be the one to take him. So it's not like the coaches are going into the defensive huddle before every play saying, Sorensen, I want you covering this receiver one-on-one. This is your guy. It's not how it works. They don't have that uh, much control over what the offense does to direct exactly who he's going to be on. If he's on the field, they have to trust him to do his job. He's not delivering on that promise. Um, I don't know what more the coaches can do except for decrease his snaps to zero. That is something that, you know, obviously we would all consider, uh, but there's a reason uh, why they, they might not do that. So, I think it's just one of those things you have to get used to. Sorensen's going to be in a more limited role, you know, 40%, 30%, 20% of the snaps. Um, he's going to be out there. And when he is, quarterbacks are going to find him. So we just have to hope he blitzes, man. I don't know what else to say about Sorensen at this point. Yeah, because he is a good blitzer. I think that is that is a good point. Um, but, yeah, exactly. And and that's the problem, though, is, is offenses know how to how to spread a defense out. They go into empty packages, have five receivers out, and, and Sorensen's going to have to be in a – pass coverage situation at some point and and I'm honestly I I feel like we have seen some good play from Watts in his career it's just never you know obviously he's never gotten an extended time on defense but you know he made a pick his rookie year that was really nice against Jacksonville I remember actually earlier this year he was playing some of those third safety snaps in the week one game when uh, Matthew didn't play and actually I remember he made at least one run stop that I thought was pretty good so maybe they do think about Watts a little more, but that's the thing. It's it's just it's either Watts or you're keeping Sorensen because there's no other safety on the the team or the practice squad or anything that you're gonna bring up and just directly replace Dan with. So it's gonna be kind of one of those things. They just the coaching staff's gonna always have to keep in mind and kind of protect Dan, and that just obviously doesn't help the rest of the defense. But it's just kind of how it is right now. That's kind of an off season thing to to kind of improve at third safety. Yeah, I don't know what else you do at this point, and, and you know I don't know that. I don't know that Sorensen, he's not so old that he's 
you know, that he's done, right? Like he's, he didn't all of a sudden get slow. Uh, he didn't all of a sudden get dumb, right? The coaches like that he, he knows the role and, and where he's supposed to be, you know, and I, I think this coaching staff especially has been uh, loyal or at least wanting to allow players to get, to play through a slump and, and get back, uh, get back to contributing. So maybe we see it again. I mean, again, this, this guy's made plays for this team in the past uh, in a limited role. He's back in a limited role now, and, and, and maybe there'll be situations where he comes up big for him uh, once again. But in the meantime, just hope that his role is as limited as it can be. Um, tell you what, let's take a break here. Uh, we still have a lot of good questions uh, about you know, how to, what the Chiefs need to do better going forward. A lot of questions about the offense uh, and Patrick Mahomes. I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, right after this. So make sure you stick with us on the Out of Structure podcast. We'll be right back with you after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. We're back on the Out of Structure Podcast, Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner with Ron Kopp Jr. We're getting to your questions on Twitter. We've talked a lot about the defense so far. Let's talk a little bit uh, big picture with Jake Wilson at Jake for now's question. Jake noticed that ball security was better this game and the Chiefs won, uh, hoping that both continue, obviously. But he asked, what's the next core fundamental chief uh, that the Chiefs players need to execute? in order to continue winning. So ball security is number one. It always has been. I've said from day one, stop the turnovers, and this team wins a lot of games. Uh, They didn't turn the ball over this game, uh, and they won. Uh, There's definitely a correlation there. Uh, So I think he's right right on that fact that ball security is number one. But what's number two, three, four? Ron, do you have other ideas on fundamentals that they can work on? So first of all, the ball security was better technically, but it still wasn't great. Um, We still saw a few fumbles. Uh, They just didn't turn into turnovers. And, you know, in my opinion, I, when I talk, when I think ball security, I also think of uh, in terms of like Mahomes, he had a dropped interception. That's not good ball security. You know, that's, that's basically a pick. That's a turnover worthy play. Um, Also easy drops in my opinion are ball security. Like, we saw McCole Hardman, and we'll talk about him a little later. Uh, he had a clean drop. And in and, and my opinion, that, con- that is considered ball security when it's an easy, easy question. So, or when it's an easy catch. So, I still don't think it was great, but it was better. 
What they do need to improve on, though, for sure, is penalties. Uh, Andy Reid made this a huge point in his press conference. That was kind of his main theme of the press conference, I would say, kind of coming out, especially when he's talking about the offense, obviously. Uh, it's just, you know, not having penalties kill drives. I know we saw a holding penalty kill a drive at one point on Creed Humphrey. We saw a false start, hold, uh, you know, hold up a play uh, drive as well. Um, they had six penalties overall. There was a few defensive ones, too, in certain situations. I know I mentioned Traverius Ward had a kind of an, a soft one called on him, but Chris Jones had an offsides call. I think it was on a third down, too, so that was kind of a, a bad spot to have one of those in. So I'd say penalties are the biggest thing for sure. Um, but yeah, like I said, drops that that's, that's part of it too. That's part of ball security to me. So I don't think they were great at ball security still in this game. You're right there for those who watch the game closely. I think the, the box score may not reflect uh, exactly how, uh, how well they handled the football this week. Uh, I agree with drops for some reason, this team has always seemed to get derailed by drops. It's happened uh, a lot over the years, really. We just, we haven't noticed it as much, but in the Super Bowl, I think that was one of the big things that, that derailed them early on in that game uh, this, this past season. And in this game, you saw it with, with uh, the deep pass to, to Hardman that, that didn't work. They immediately followed that up with a drop to Kelsey, and that drive was done. And so it really seems a little demoralizing for this team. It's hard for them to recover from drops. You know, uh, drops and, uh, and turnovers are, are certainly related. They're not uh, – they're part of the same continuum, if you will, right? So it, it, they, they tend to kill drives, and, and it leads to giving the ball back to the opponent. So um, I agree, holding on to the ball better, you know, even whether it turns into turnovers or not, uh, is certainly is certainly high on that list. The other thing I want to – Go ahead. I was just going to say the, the last point or the last uh, uh, fundamental that I'd love to see them get better at is converting some of the pressure into sacks on the pass rush. For what feels like the third or fourth week in a row, Frank Clark had a guy wrapped up uh, and didn't bring him down. Uh, this week, I think Derek Nighty had a shot at the same guy. Uh, it's happened a lot this season. You're seeing the pressure, and the pressure's great, and it does make a difference. Matt McMullen uh, from the, the mothership at the Chiefs.com, the Chiefs pressured Jordan Love on 49% of his drop box, <laughs> drop backs, excuse me. Wow. Uh, 49% of his drawbacks was pressured. Chris Jones had seven. Melvin Ingram had four in his first game uh, with the Chiefs. So they're getting pressure, and it clearly affected the game. But you know what really affects the game is actual quarterback sacks that can cause fumbles, you know, that take yardage off the board. Um, Really closing the deal on some of these sacks, I think, are going to be – it would be nice and it would make a difference. Uh, good things happen when you sack the quarterback, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's what the defense has always kind of been predicated on when the Mahomes era is just, they don't need to be great. They don't need to win you games, even though they are lately. Um, but when the offense is good, all you need is a big sack here, or there, a big interception or a turnover here, or there. And you're right. I, you know, they're just not doing that as much this year. They're still very low. I, I, they probably are. They still probably have the least amount of sacks in the league after this week because um, they were at that point last week. But yeah. And, and, and so, yeah. And the other thing, too, at the home games, uh, you know, in Arrowhead, 
you know, that's when you really get the crowd going is a sack. You know, mm-hmm. what doesn't get the crowd going is a pressure that the quarterback escapes from. Um, that actually almost demoralizes the crowd a little bit. So, yeah, yeah they had one look- sack this week, and there was Tyron Matthew on a blitz, which was awesome. But, yes. uh, you know, you'd like to see some of those guys get home. You know, Melvin Ingram, uh, Frank Clark, those guys have had a lot of pressure this year that has not turned into sacks. So, uh, you know, f- I know that they want that to happen because that's how they get paid. Um, but uh, I think I think those things, penalties, uh, drops, just as a as a part of ball security, and converting some pressure to sacks. If they they get it better on those three things, this team is going to be better. Um, go ahead. Yeah, and one thing to add to that too is just if you're not if if this game if if a game against a rookie quarterback or you know first career start quarterback uh, is if that's not the game you're getting sacks and finishing sacks on then it is a little discouraging going forward because smart quarterbacks, you know, you can get pressure on smart quarterbacks. Like you're going to be facing Derek Carr and Dak Prescott the next two weeks. And you're not, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to finish sacks on those guys than it is a guy in his first career start, even though love is a mobile guy, you know, and, and I think he used that athleticism well to escape sacks. But if, if, if you're not able to finish sacks against love, you know, his first career start, it is a little discouraging to me going forward. Um, if you, Cause it's going to be a lot harder to finish sacks on other guys. Very well could be true. So another question that was put out on Twitter, uh, um, credit to Arrowhead Live on Twitter. I'm reading their question, even though it wasn't directed at us, but I thought it was a good point. Uh, the offensive DVOA for the Chiefs in the first four weeks with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire um, was, uh, let's see, was first when Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was on the field, 25th when he wasn't. So the offensive success, whether it's coincidental or not, um, was so much better with Clyde in there. Uh, do you think that when he returns, this offense will start clicking more than it has been since he's been out? That is very interesting, right? I mean, I I am always going to be the one that that leans on the side that running backs – you know, don't have that much impact on the success of an offense, uh, the individual running back himself. Um, so it is very interesting. I, I'm still not going to buy into it. I still don't think Clyde coming back in the lineup is all of a sudden going to turn the Chiefs offense into what they can be. But he is a much better running back than, in my opinion, than Daryl, Derek Gore. <laughs> that's a, that's one thing I want to mention while we're talking about running backs. I really, I, I really thought Derek Gore played really well against the Giants. Um, I was not very impressed with him against the Packers. He did not look explosive. Uh, he kind of just he danced a little too much for me. There was one particular play on a, it was a gap run. Uh, he was he had a Blake Bell lead him through the hole. And it was a very big hole, and man, did he take a long time to get through that thing. That was that was kind of turned me off a little bit. So I might be off the Derek Gore train, even though it's only two games into his career. Um, and so all that to say, Clyde is a better running back. Clyde is the best running back on this team. He will, you know, make the offense a little better in terms of, you know, running the ball. I do think he still is a better running back than Daryl. Um, but I, I just can't buy that he's going to come back in the lineup and that's going to be what triggers the offense to go back to, you know, scoring 30 points a game. I really just, I can't buy into that. I'm sorry. They definitely need to keep running the football, and I think this offensive line is obviously most comfortable doing uh, doing run blocking as, as compared to pass blocking, uh, especially when you've got Lucas Niang in there. Uh, I know he went out early in this game, and I thought it did make a difference in how the run blocking was for Darrell Williams uh, and company this week. And so 
I really do think that Clyde does make a difference. Uh, and I think Clyde with this offensive line, with, you know, a balanced approach or, or even a run heavy approach, you know, can be a better offense than what we've seen, but none of it's really going to matter if Mahomes isn't right. You know, I mean, and, and that's what this whole thing comes down to. Uh, Mahomes can overcome a, a bad defensive performance, uh, but the defense can is not often going to overcome a bad Mahomes performance. So we have a ton of questions about what's going on with Patrick Mahomes and the offense. Um, Lean flow. Let's get along as one on Twitter. What happened to Mahomes? He's not himself. Um, Chinese buffet three on Twitter. What the hell is wrong with Mahomes? Please don't blame it on the offensive line. That ain't it. Uh, Chiefs fan for life. Barry Harrison J one on Twitter. Why is Patrick Mahomes not allowed to have a bad stretch? All quarterbacks do. Mark Arth 10 on Twitter points out and actually asked the question, which I thought was a good one, Ron. Uh, the modern day, the Hall of Fame bound quarterbacks, who has had an entire season of bad play and then turned it right back around the following season and continued their greatness. So let's talk a little bit about that. It's, it's hard to pinpoint what's wrong with Mahomes, but have you – have you seen other Hall of Fame type quarterbacks have a, just a really down year and then all of a sudden uh, bounce right back? Yeah, you know, I think it's actually pretty it's a lot more common than I think people think. Um, it is really hard to be the best quarterback in the league every single season. Honestly, on the surface, mainly just because the teams you play all think of you as the best quarterback in the league and do everything they can to not let you be the best quarterback in the league. And we're seeing that obviously this year with the amount of, uh, you know, just soft zone cover two stuff, not allowing Mahomes to use what he's best at. But yeah, I just kind of real quick went, you know, went the pro football reference route and, and looked at a few quarterbacks. Uh, first of all, I think we all remember it was two or three years ago now that we all kind of thought Aaron Rodgers might be done. I mean, did we not? I mean, I, I think if we're all honest with ourselves and maybe it's harder to remember now that he's so good now, but it was, I want to say 2016, 2017, 2018, somewhere in that range. Rogers just wasn't very good. He was still very talented, but he wasn't, it wasn't producing kind of like what Mahomes is doing lately. I want to, I don't want to say all this year because that's the thing, guys. I mean, the first four games of the season, Mahomes looked amazing again. So it is kind of just a stretch. But so, yeah, I, I, I think Rogers, obviously, he's bounced back and has become an MVP uh, candidate. He was the MVP last year. Uh, well, what about Peyton Manning? Uh, four years into his career, the 2001 season, his team went 6-10. and 10. He went 26-23 in terms of two touchdown to interception ratio. I mean, that's terrible. I mean, 26-23. to um, And two years later, he won the MVP. So it happens, and that was his fourth year. It's not like that was his first year in the NFL or anything. And this is Mahomes' fourth year starting, so that's why those two can kind of correlate. I mean, you can look at – I mean, look at Brady. I mean, Tom Brady, his last year in New England. I know – I think it's pretty – clear to say that he just didn't have any weapons because of how good he's looked immediately after that in Tampa Bay. But that is another example where, Hey, you know, Brady looked done, looked really done. I mean, there was, I think a lot of people speculated that it, it was kind of over for him and the, the Tampa Bay thing was, wasn't going to work out very well. And obviously we were wrong about that, but it just does seem like every quarterback really does have a down year or two. And if this is Mahomes, it's, you know, so be it. Um, but I just I don't want to I don't want to say that he's had a bad entire season right now, because, first of all, like I said, it, it, he did start the season hot. 
And honestly, guys, I, I know we hate keep, we don't want to just keep saying it, and keep saying it, but it could turn around any week. Now the offense could start clicking any week now. And then all of a sudden we're, we're kind of, we're, we're past Mahomes playing bad. So I, I, I don't want to make the judgment that he's had a, this terrible year this year until the season's over. Cause I still think we could look back at the season and say, remember that stretch in the middle of the season, he was bad and he played besides that pretty well. So um, what do you have to say to that Spags or Stags? I just called you Spags, Spagnolo. You know, podcast with Steve Spagnolo over here. This week I'll take it. Uh, other weeks, maybe not. Um, when it comes to Mahomes, yeah, don't bury him. Don't bet against him. It's, it's not good uh, not good practice to bet against Patrick Mahomes at, you know, on any given day, any given week. Um, I think he is allowed to have a bad stretch. He's clearly had one. And, you know, it's, it's can he come out of it soon enough to salvage the season and get hot when it's playoff time? If, if the Chiefs make the playoffs and then Patrick Mahomes is hot at that time, we'll forget about this stretch real, real quick. And it just won't matter. But when we're looking at what's wrong with Patrick Mahomes, again, a lot of it, we're not going to know, you know, we're, we can't get inside his mind. We don't know where his head is. The one thing on the field that I think has really been telling is I think the ball placement has been a little bit off. And this was a strength of Mahomes going all the way back to Texas tech. I remember watching him pre-draft and getting really pumped. This is one of my few draft evaluation wins, Ron, is that pre-draft seeing Mahomes at Texas Tech, a lot of people were saying this is a guy who's just a gunslinger throwing the ball up and getting lucky. But if you watched, no matter how ridiculous his attempt was, no matter what the arm angle or where he was running or what he was doing, the ball placement was excellent. It was consistently excellent to the point where it was not an accident. He's putting the he Mahomes is Mahomes because he puts the ball in a place where his guy can make a play on it and the defender cannot. That's what has made him great all along. And that's what's been off in this stretch of this season more than anything else. It's more than him dropping back too deep or, or leaving empty pockets or some of this other stuff of forcing the deep ball or whatever. The criticism has been, to me, it's been about ball placement because the turnover plays that have happened where it goes through a receiver's hands or off a receiver's hands uh, or off a receiver's head last week, the a lot of that has been because the ball is just not placed in a way that you, would, that you were used to seeing from Patrick Mahomes. This week, Travis Kelsey's drop was a little bit behind him. It's not where you would normally see Mahomes putting that ball. Yes, Kelsey should have caught that, but but it, one thing about Mahomes has just been a little bit off. Is again, I don't want to you call it accuracy, call it ball placement, call it whatever you want to. It's not that part's not been the same, and I don't know how you fix that, or I don't know why that's off. But to me, that's the biggest thing that's off right now, and he can find that again he's going to be wildly successful again. Yeah, I totally agree with you, first of all, on the Texas Tech point. And I think that's why he was such a polarizing prospect because there were people that that thought Mahomes was going to be a stud and thought Mahomes was going to be a great quarterback. Uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, he went top 10 for a reason. You know, I think a lot of people like to paint the picture that he wasn't a, a well-sought-after uh, prospect sometimes. Um, but he went top 10, and the Chiefs had to trade up quite a bit to get him because – the mechanics were bad, right? And the mechanics still aren't great. And they, they, but that's the thing. 
what are mechanics? Because because if you're getting the ball to where they need, where it needs to go, then who cares what it looks like? And that's kind of what he was at Perfect. Texas Tech, and and it's been like that his entire career. And but the problem with that, it's not a you know it's not a problem for him necessarily, but just as Chiefs fans, you know, thinking about it, there's not something we can just point to, or I guess just the coaching staff, I should say, they can't just say, hey, Mahomes, you got to stay past, you know, we got to work on this after practice, or you know, we got to spend more time on this, or do, you know, this is a natural thing. This is his accuracy is not something that you can that you really work on and get better at, and that's true for most quarterbacks. Your actually is what it is, and so it just seems like it's just not on right now, but it's not something that I feel like can be fixed um, strategically. I think, I think it's really just Mahomes needs to, I guess, feel better, play better, you know, play more comfortably and kind of play more confidently. And maybe that'll help with his accuracy. Um, but yeah, it's just not, to be honest, it's just not something that you can kind of point to and say, all right, we're going to fix this over this week or over the bye week. We're going to fix the accuracy. Like, no, it just, it's really up to Mahomes to kind of just play better straight up. Yeah. You bet. And, and I think a lot of it does come down to, I, I, we're all hoping that that play at the end of this game was the turning point that Mahomes looked like Mahomes again. And, and all of a sudden, you know, that's going to be what he does. And, and I think that's happened in, in the past and in, in all of sports really is in a players in a funk an athletes in a funk, then sometimes you just need one play to work to kind of remember what it feels like, you know, yeah. to, to get you back on track. Maybe that happens this week. I saw that uh, Nick Wright on Twitter was was convinced already that this that play was. Oh God! Um, I, I hate to call it so definitively, but we may look back and see that play as being one that happened and worked, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, he he gets the feel back, he gets the touch back. You know, another play that could have been that that didn't turn out that way was the deep pass to McCall Hardman this week. I thought for I thought for a second that 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 could be a play that yes he threw into double coverage and he threw deep when you had a player short but that's okay that's that's what Mahomes does and he did place the ball farther away from the defenders where the receiver could run to it um, and so I think that had a lot of elements of a vintage Mahomes big play it just wasn't completed on Hardman's part because of the the traffic and the coverage so. That sort of leads us right to the questions we have about McCole Hardman, uh, David Tompkins, DT, uh, D Tompkins, DC on Twitter. What's the real reason Hardman still gets as many snaps as he does in a former life? I remember coaches bench players with ball security issues. Uh, Mama Jude's JAD six four three on Twitter. Is it possible to hand Hardman's touches over to Gordon uh, to Josh Gordon? So those are. We're getting a lot of questions about McCole Hardman this week. It was not his best game. Um, absolutely, uh, he made the, the losers list uh, on the winners and losers uh, uh, article that we put out. He had a hard time holding on the ball this week, uh, didn't have a lot of production. What's your overall take on Hardman so far this season, and, and is there any any fixes there? Well, it's become pretty obvious that the Chiefs do not trust him to be a legitimate wide receiver. Um, his, his touches come on jet sweeps, reverses, and I know that deep pass was attempted to him, but that's more unique now, I, I would say, than it, than it was maybe his rookie year or his second year. It seemed like they tried him on deep passes more. This year, it really seems like he's, he's been pigeonholed into the gadget player role, which I think is fair honestly. And, and that's the best way to use him at this point. So why not do that? 
And that's why to ask to answer Mama Jude's question um, to switch Hardman's touches to Gordon. I mean, it's just not that simple because they just don't play the same role or, or position, basically. I mean, Hardman, like I said, I mean, he is getting the gadget plays. I mean, he is not asked to win on routes consistently. He's not asked to win on intermediate to deep routes a lot. Um, and when he is, it seems like it's usually kind of designed more than, hit, you know, it's, it's Hardman actually like winning on a route. So, yeah, I don't think it's as simple as switching out Hardman for Gordon. I will say Hardman's snaps appeared to have decreased. It uh, looked like, uh, you know, uh, he, Gordon played more. Actually, I don't have the snaps in front of me. He might not have. I might be lying. But I think Gordon maybe got more snaps than Hardman this week. Um, apologies if that's not correct. But I know Hardman got more snaps than Robinson this week. Um, and, and that's another thing I haven't mentioned yet. But shout out the Chiefs coaching staff for beginning to kind of dwindle down on Robinson's snap counts because it never really made sense for him to play so many snaps. Yeah, DeMarcus was getting about 70% of the snaps up until uh, this week and last week, and and he's down. He was at 22% this week. Josh Gordon at 29%, McCole Hardman at 65%. So ah. uh, so still Hardman's still getting a decent amount of snaps and, and maybe even more, uh, but his targets are way up from previous years. When you look at just the statistics, I mean, he's already got 53 targets on this season. He had 62 all of last year. Um, so his targets are way up, but the depth of target is way down. And his his average per reception is half of what it was his rookie season. So McCole Hardman's, you're right, his usage is all short stuff now. Uh, at least all his successful usage is, is short stuff. And, and so he can still be a productive player in that gadget role, but he's definitely not interchangeable with a Josh Gordon-type player. Um, and we've seen he's not, he wasn't interchangeable with Sammy Watkins either. Right. So that, that was the, you got to have reasonable expectations on players. Uh, Hardman, I think we know what he is at this point. The ball security, I will say is not a long-term problem in the same way for Hardman. He's had one receiving uh, fumble last year and the year before, I think, uh, and one uh, fumble uh, running the ball. Uh, so far this year. So he's got two fumbles this year. He had one last year, none uh, his rookie season. So he's not uh, uh, historically a huge fumbler. And so I think you have to write the the fumbles off as a, as a short-term issue in, unless it continues and just think of Hardman as a role player and he can be a valuable role player if used right. Yes. No, that that's exactly the point I wanted to make to wrap up the Hardman discussion was that let's just completely forget that he was a second round pick. Let's just forget, you know, any context about Hardman. And if we think about him as just a very fast player that Andy Reid is using to take advantage, you know, on jet sweeps and reverses and, and all those kind of plays, then all of a sudden you're, you're kind of happy with who Hardman is because I do think he adds an element to the offense uh, in terms of, yeah, just winning, getting to the outside, making a defense have to, cover the entire 53 yards uh, from sideline to sideline because Hardman's speed is so because he is I mean he might still be one of the him and Hill in my opinion might be the fastest players in the entire NFL together so that speed is still valuable it's just we still we all still want to look at him and kind of compare him to receivers that were taken around him in the draft he was a second round pick and he's just not living up to that. But, you know, if we kind of take away that context and just think about him, what he actually is being used as, he does pretty well in his role. So that's where I'll kind of end that discussion. Fair enough. And I will say that I am a huge 
proponent of giving Josh Gordon some more uh, targets, scheming him open, giving him some some shots. It does not seem like he's getting any kind of usage. Uh, his targets ha- have not been good. Um, you know, he may still be struggling as far as where to go and, and being in the right spot and running the right route. Um, and he certainly hasn't hasn't made uh, really hardly any plays yet this year. But if it's going to be – if he's going to be a factor, it's got to start happening pretty soon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and Josh Gordon, we, ha- we saw that one target to open the second half. It was a dig route, backside dig routes um, against two highs. So that backside safety actually came up pretty quick and, and defended the pass. And so I, I didn't ever get a good replay at it. I kind of my initial take was that I'd like to see Gordon come come up with that ball. It seemed like it was kind of more of a contested catch and he and he just wasn't strong enough to kind of secure the pass. But again, I honestly did not get a good look at it. So I really don't know. Maybe the safety just made a great play and there was just no chance for Gordon to make that catch. But it does seem like they need to – it seemed like the first few weeks Gordon was on the field, they were trying to scheme stuff up, and now it doesn't I, – I don't. I, it doesn't seem like they're trying actively to get him the ball, and I would like to see that a little more. Just get him going. Just get the ball in his hands. You bet. And there, so we had a lot of questions about play calling and the coaching staff. We're about out of time, so I, we won't get to all of those, but I do think that there is some element of play calling on the offensive side of the ball where you can – you can't expect more. And I think they need to be still need to be more creative. They still need to run the ball more often in a less predictable fashion. And they need to find a way to get Josh Gordon involved. Uh, that way you've got a, a more of a balance of targets. You've got more players other than Kelsey and Hill uh, who are really taking their lumps this season and fighting through it. Uh, they need some help uh, in, in the field of play uh, past the line of scrimmage for receiving targets. And, and so you, you do expect the coaches to do a better job of scheming that up and being less predictable um, as they go through the season. You know, maybe they haven't rolled out the full playbook yet, or maybe, you know, Gordon uh, only has a limited uh, route tree so far and they'll get better as the season goes on. But I do think the coaching staff needs to be better. I think as it was a little better this week than obviously in previous weeks, still not where we'd like to see it. Um, but if you're starting to question you know, Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and others, I think that's fair because I think this offense is dramatically underperforming what they're capable of. And a lot of that's on Mahomes, but a lot of that's on the coaching staff as well. Yeah, I, I was not a fan of their unwillingness to run the ball, especially in the first half on Sunday. I think second half they got a little better about it. Um, but that, but you've already said it, Stags, but that is where this offensive line is at its best is when they are firing off, running the ball, specifically when they run gap plays like counter to the left where Trey Smith is the kickout block. I mean, I, I couldn't, there's not one defensive end in the league that is welcoming a kickout block from Trey Smith. I don't care who they are. Um, and, and also what that does on those plays is Orlando Brown's down blocking. And, and that man is a brick wall uh, in terms of kind of creating space by just leaning on a defensive tackle and kind of m- making that gap bigger. So um, I, I, I really wish they would ast- stick to the run a little more. Um, it, it would help Mahomes not feel, or, you know, just, just don't drop him back as much. I feel like that might help him. Although, you know, maybe, maybe it doesn't, maybe it helps him to get more in rhythm by dropping back more either way. But you open up the play action game, which is something that yeah. the, rest of the league uses super effectively, which I don't feel like it's been effective in Kansas city. And, and part of that is because 
every team seems to know when they're running the ball, they're running the ball. When they're throwing the ball, they're throwing the ball. There doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, mystery there. No, that's a good point. It, no, it is, it is about the predictability. But at the same time, at some point, just even if it is a little predictable that they're going to run counter to the left because they really do only run it to the left just because they want Trey as a kickout block, uh, which is kind of funny to me, but I like it. Be predictable with running the ball. Just freaking run it. And, 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 I'm, and I, you want to be, make it a little more varied and stuff, but at some point you also just have to trust your offensive line which is a really good run blocking line. I mean, that's, that's unanimous. That's universal. You know, national media people would consider the chiefs offensive line, one of the best run blocking ones. So I just wish they'd kind of trust them a little more to, to uh, establish and, and kind of carry the offense a little more, but at the same time, they weren't very efficient rushing the ball Sunday. And, and maybe that ha- has to do with Niang going out, but you know, it, it, it is kind of, it is kind of, it is whack-a-mole, as you've put it before, on the defensive side. On offense, it is a little bit of whack-a-mole, too, because as soon as, as, soon as one thing goes wrong or as soon as one thing goes right, the other thing goes wrong and, and vice versa. And, and so it's just, it's just kind of a weird jumble right now. But I, I do wish they'd uh, run the ball a little more, just in general. It's been a strange season. If they're going to get back on track, I think they do have to start trusting um, their offensive line and trusting the playmakers that they have. Uh, but players have to execute at some point in time. And, and whether that's the backs or the receivers, the coaching staff or, or otherwise, they need to be better. But, hey, sitting at five and four is a whole lot better than sitting at, at uh, uh, you know, a, a worse record, you know, uh, three and six or whatever they could have been at this point if they hadn't uh, won these last two games. So I think there's a uh, there's a chance that this team is starting to figure it out, that they're starting to play complementary football, that it's a multiple-phase game. You've got the defense and special teams playing better and helping prop up the offense. Sooner or later, the offense hopefully will be back, and we can we can say that this is a complete team again. Maybe some other teams have peaked too early, and the Chiefs just are saving that peak for later on in the season. Uh, hopefully they didn't save it for too long, and they can continue this streak next week. Uh, We'll continue our streak podcast next week. Please stay with us. Rate and review wherever you do that. We appreciate you spending some of your day with us. uh, Talking Chiefs on a Victory Monday. We'll do it again next week, we hope. Ron, with that, let's wrap this thing up. We'll talk to you then. Yes, sir. Go Chiefs.